Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles, or we hope to be again sometime soon. Everything we do as a church is, as with most of the rest of life, currently happening online. We're not all in the same circumstances, but these days are not easy for most of us, so please know that we're here for you if you need any spiritual or emotional support at all. The Holy Spirit is not held back by coronavirus, and this current teaching series is our response to what we believe he's saying to us as a church. To expect more. God is at work, and he is powerful. We're praying that your faith, for his presence and power in your own life, will be raised as you listen today. Good morning. As we continue to face futures that for many of us will feel as unclear and uncertain as they likely ever have done before, I wanted to start by sharing some advice that I have received at certain key moments of my life from psychotherapists, as well as priests, and also Jesus. And that is just focus on today. If you are worried about tomorrow, if you have massive concerns about any level of your security in the future, if you are desperate for a word from God about how he's leading or calling or guiding you and what he's got for you, ask him what he's got for you today. Tomorrow, as we say, will worry about itself. This is the day that the Lord has made. Ask him what he's got for you in it. What can you do with it? How can you use it? How can you remember this day how much he loves you and wants to know you and lead you in a life full of purpose and joy today? The passage we're looking at this week, um, oh, it's actually two passages about the miraculous catches of fish. Two stories told once each. Once at the start of Luke in chapter five, right when he's first calling these fishermen to follow him, and the other at the very end of John after he's risen from the dead bookends, if you will, of Jesus' time with his disciples and significant for that very reason, but significant also because they both focus on Peter and juxtaposed, they reveal something quite remarkable about how he's changed in the meantime. They're not held to be two, uh, two tellings of the same miracle, despite some stark similarities, and we're going to look at them both this morning, one after the other. You may have, like me, heard these stories to reveal the simplicity of what happens when we trust and obey Jesus. Obedience. It's no one's favourite word, is it? But it is unavoidably central to what it is we are supposed to be as Christians. We're to let Jesus be in the driving seat. We're supposed to say, your will, not ours. We're supposed to sail back out to sea, even when we're exhausted and bewildered, just because he tells us to. Because you said so, are Peter's magical words in the Luke passages we're going to see, and they are the magical words with God. Except, the thing is, the key to obedience, just as a matter of logic, is that you need to know the instruction as it pertains to direction, as it pertains to following him, in the specifics, in the day-to-day, as well as the call to call. Obeying his command means knowing what the command is. And of course, we know these in the general sense. We know what we're called to, to preach the good news, heal the sick, cast out demons, to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. 
But I do believe that for a great number of us right now, part of the very difficult period we're in, with this waiting, the incubating, the sitting still in our homes, is that we're feeling quite desperate for instruction. We are longing for a directive command about what we're supposed to do. Whether or not we want to be, I think a, a huge proportion of us are in a period of quite significant re-evaluation right now. And it's very natural, psychologically and neurologically, in any waiting period, let alone one that has really deprived us of many of the things that we would normally distract or numb ourselves with. It's very natural to question things. Our relationships, our living situations, our career choices, our home cities, our family dynamics, our very sense of who we are in this life. And some of this can be great. Hooray for all the new engagements, three in our community alone. Hooray for bold new career choices and brave new starts. But I think for a lot of us, all we want is a command, a direction, a steer, a word about where the school of fish might be found. To know that Jesus is right there on the shore as we feel all out at sea that he sees us and that he knows where he's going to take us to. And all I can say as I have prepared this talk is that as much as he wants you to know that it is a resounding yes to those questions, he is there, he is leading and guiding, I do sense that this waiting part is a massively important part of it. We had some great prophetic words in the prayer meeting this week about trees not being burnt by a fire, about tiredness and confusion running a race um, and needing to know that God's still calling you to be in that race and about this spirit meeting us like waves lapping a shoreline. I do think that this is what he's saying to us. I am with you, precious son, precious daughter. I will lead you, dear follower. Isaiah 43 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. He is with you today, whether you needed to hear that or not. So Peter and the two miraculous catches, one at the start of his journey with Jesus, one at the end. So let's start with Luke 5. Thank you, Tara. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Let's just be really clear when it comes to this miraculous catch of fish. These two miracles are anomalies. Unlike other categories of miracles that we're doing in this series, uh, like we've done a week on healing miracles, a week on deliverance miracles, next week is on resurrection miracles, these things occur and reoccur on the pages of the Gospels, and they are things that we believe we're called to do our best to emulate as Jesus' followers. I'll let Ed instruct you on our dead raising ministry next week. But there isn't a whole category of miracles called buttload of bounty. Jesus didn't just walk around conjuring up fish hauls, poofing up huge stores of grain from thin air on the reg. No more than he would give us trading tips or lottery numbers or keys to a mansion in our mailbox. The big catch of fish definitely isn't supposed to be the point in this story. And if you look closely, in neither account do we really hear about what they did with the fish. They might actually eat some and John come to think of it, but here we can assume they just plonked them in the dock and walked away. There is mission woven into this miracle, which we shall see, but I just wanted to clear that point up first. Both of these miracles are about calling, and specifically Peter's. He is technically still Simon at this point, but we just need to get over that because Luke can't even make up his mind about what to call him, even within this chapter between Simon Peter and Simon Peter. And this isn't a talk about a name change, so I'm just going with Peter for clarity's sake. And yet, while Luke definitely isn't clear about his name, he does give us more colour about Peter's call than the other gospel writers do. Because they essentially just detail that Jesus sees him and his brother, called them, and they get up and follow him. Luke tells us a bit more detail. In the chapter before, we've actually first met Peter when Jesus visits his home and he has rebuked a fever in his mother-in-law and she is healed instantly. So this here in our passage is the second time they are meeting. Peter is a fisherman, which means he's not educated or special or important, or indeed likely to be chosen for a special task by someone important. But here, Sometime after the healing incident, Jesus, being pressed by a crowd, we're told, steps onto his boat, presumably to have a good vantage point from where to teach. An honour, you think, to a man like this. Verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. It's a very simple point. Despite being the expert, despite being exhausted after a night's unsuccessful venture, despite having already cleaned his nets ready for tomorrow, despite having no reason to really have any faith that Jesus knows squat about fish behaviour, despite this being the very worst time of the day to try and catch a fish, Peter has already seen enough and heard enough to decide to trust, and he obeys, because you said so. And two boats worth of buttload plenty is the result. Now, not to sound like a massive pastor with a fishing story, but when we were first planting bread about a year after we'd got here, someone very generously subsidised the chartering of a fishing boat for a social event, with the sole aim, if you'll pardon my pun, of us having a lovely evening together. 
and it was a balmy July night. The air was salty and warm in the marina as about 25 of us packed onto this boat in our best fishing fashion with a cooler full of drinks ready for fun. The captain at that moment told us that it hadn't been going very well recently, that most of the trips that he'd brought out to sea hadn't caught anything. And so we tried to realign our expectations while pretending not to notice that two members of our party were already throwing up off the side. Don't think it's been forgotten, you know who you are. It was a glorious California evening and we were gonna have fun, dang it, fish or no fish. But what followed was nothing short of remarkable, or rather nothing short of a sonar doing what it's supposed to do and picking up an enormous shoal of sand bass as soon as we got out to sea, which rendered us, every single member of our party, one after the other, over and over again, rendered fishing kings and queens as we pulled in massive bass after massive bass after massive bass. And it was somewhat of a triumph as church planting social events go, a prophetic moment of absolute glee, followed by many nights of delicious fish curry. You can find a picture of this event of over three years ago, five squares back on at ed.flint's Instagram page. I wouldn't bother giving him a follow, a follow though. He really doesn't know how social media works. Catching a lot of fish is very fun to the amateur, but to the sonarless first century professional, the size of this hall that Jesus led him to renders him awe-stricken. Verse eight. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Peter knows what this hall implies. It implies something impossible, something supernatural has occurred and it scares him. Even as a fisherman, Peter knows enough about the holiness of the God of his people, that sin produces distance between them. And it's so inconceivable that this man or prophet, it's actually quite a long time before uh, Peter understands Jesus' true identity, would be here to demonstrate God's power as an invitation to him. Peter's assumption is actually that he might be there to destroy him. In the face of God's power, he's responding much the same way as other heroes of his faith have done before him, Abraham, Moses and Job, just to name a few. He falls down and asks Jesus to depart from him. And even in this moment of misunderstanding, there is a divine honouring of the amount of faith that Peter has. And in Jesus' calm voice, he says, don't be afraid. Peter isn't disqualified because of his awareness of imperfection. This is, in fact, the stuff that Jesus loves, because this is the stuff that Jesus can use. And now, Luke tells us, these fishermen leave everything and follow him. So this is how it starts. Now let's fast forward right to the end through all the teachings and miracles and mistakes that happened to Peter along the way to the very end of the Gospels, John chapter 21. John 21, starting at verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, 
for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I know what you're thinking. So first things first. Why 153? Did they actually count them? What does that number mean, John Boy, O lover of symbolic meaning and wordplay? Well, 153 is a triangular number, which means, as St. Augustine pointed out, the perfect law of the commandments, 10, plus the perfect number of holiness, 7, when summed together by their total integers, 153. No? How about Jerome's theory that ancient mariners understood there to be a total number of 153 species of fish on the earth? So this miracle signifies all the nations coming together under Jesus. Unfortunately, that's been disproved. It's not what ancient mariners believed. How about 153,000 builders of Solomon's temple-ish? Peter being the new rock? No. What about 153 being the denominator of the closest known fraction to the square root of 3, which is also the, ra the ratio of a fish shape drawn between two overlapping circles, which are centred on each other's circumference, according to Pythagoras, which is an actual theory I read about this week. People give their whole careers to understanding of why this number was recorded in around 130 AD. Aren't we amazing as humans? We can possibly take the numerology thing too far, I think, but for our sakes, 153 fish is a big number of fish. Let's make no mistake about it. But what does this catch actually tell us of the same protagonist with his same fishless problem, the same instruction coming from an instructor whose wisdom on the matter is not confirmed, the same miracle, two totally different reactions. In John's narrative of this post-resurrection period, Jesus has already appeared to um, Mary and then the gang on Easter Sunday, and then again eight days later when he um, tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. And now we have this final bit, set sometime later on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This, however, is the first direct interaction between Peter and Jesus in John's account since Peter has denied him, and this is important. I wonder if our familiarity with Peter's betrayal makes us forget sometimes what it really meant. His triple denial at Jesus' interrogation is one of the few stories it's actually shared by all four of the Gospels. Whatever you think you might have done in your whole life to screw up, to let Jesus down, spare a moment for poor Peter, who denied knowing him who would have been racked by the memory of Jesus looking him directly in the eye as he said, I don't know this man. Think about what else Peter was mourning when Jesus had been killed, not just his Lord and friend. He'd thrown away his chance at getting it right. He had completely blown it. And he wouldn't have the chance to make this right again with his saviour, this saviour who had chosen him. But now, 
the same miracle, the same awe, the same awareness of his sinful broken condition. But this time, upon realising it was Jesus, back from the dead, back and reenacting this same moment of Peter's call, Peter knows this is for him. He jumps out of the boat before it even gets to the shore. Peter knows Jesus now, his teaching, his grace, his mercy, the fact that he's coming for everyone, and of course, the fact that it's all true, that he's risen from the dead on the third day, that he's conquered death and has restored us to the Father. Peter is running towards this news, towards this forgiveness. He's running towards this embrace. He's running towards the one who will empower him to live out his part of it, his call. And there's something in this moment here as we see Peter. Thank God for Peter. Imagine if the Bible was just full of Pauls. Peter, first to question, slow to get it. Biggest screw up of us all, Peter. In this image of him jumping out of the boat to, his get, to get to his friend the fastest. So confident in the forgiveness and mercy this time that he isn't falling to his knees or hiding his face anymore. He is running to it. What a picture this is for us. He knows Jesus is the only one who can heal him and restore him. He knows that Jesus was still on his side in spite of it all. And here he is cooking a meal for his friends. And as we move into a time of ministry now, a time of receiving the Holy Spirit, I'd love to, us really, to have us really meditate on this image of forgiveness. Because we know that he removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. But sometimes I think we need to remember this moment. Jesus will also go there with us in helping us heal. He doesn't just ignore Peter's mistakes. He doesn't just erase them. In the next verses after our passage that we had read out, we have this image having made, made them breakfast of fish and bread, that he asked Peter to confess three times his love for him. Three declarations of love and commitment to erase three declarations of betrayal. And then he commissions him once more with his call. Jesus isn't afraid of looking at your biggest mistakes with you. Jesus doesn't do shame. He doesn't do hiding your face. He does you, understanding you, empathising with all of the things that you're scared of right now, understanding what you feel. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. He knows what you're scared of. He knows what you're worrying about. He knows where it hurts. And I do think what he wants to say to a number of us this morning is just the simplicity of do not be afraid. I am with you. I also think there's another group of people who perhaps felt like those words at the start were, were for you. Um, there's just something about what's happening in this re-evaluation time that maybe you're hearing the leave everything, follow me thing more loudly than you ever have been. And I think for some of us that means leaving behind things that have had significant value to us and this process is painful. 
But for these two things and for anything else, let us remember right now that it is the Spirit who is powerful. It is the Holy Spirit who changes things. This is his work to do. So will you join me in opening yourself now to his presence and his power? Come Holy Spirit. Will you fill us from our heads to our feet? We remember that you are the same yesterday, today and tomorrow, that you are not held back by us being separated in our homes that you are the same powerful God. Will you fill us from our head to our feet with rivers of living water? Thank you that you come to bring release from things that have hurt. Thank you that you come always to include, to speak words of love that you never accuse. bless what you're doing. Thank you for your goodness. More of you. I do invite you now to keep receiving as we listen to this song, but please do join us on Zoom Ministry. After the call, we'll be here at 11.15 till about 11.45. Ready to pray for you. The glory until next week, God bless you. Of your presence, I find rest for my soul in the depths of your love. I find. Bye.